everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Deserve Better podcast, where we cover the world of independent comics. I am one of your hosts, Brian, and with me, as always, are the other two hosts of this podcast, uh, Carrie and Darcy. Hello. Hi. How are you both doing today? Um, good, <laughs> I guess. I'm here. Oh. Well, that's nice. That's always better than not being here, right? I guess. <laughs> I guess the alternative would be shit. So yeah. Yeah. So well, um, season five is officially alive. What, what? And also, a uh, happy birthday to us. Sort of. It's our anniversary. Well, it is our one-year anniversary, according to my crappy calendar skills. Because yes. so technically it's next week, <laughs> um, but we we chose a book for our one year anniversary because I thought this week was our anniversary when we were making the decision. So we chose something specifically for this podcast. So we're we're celebrating. A we're week pretending. Early. You know what? You it's go. like when your friend goes out of town and they had the birthday a week early so that everyone could celebrate with them. Let's let's just go with that, okay? Exactly. <laughs> All right. We're well, we're we're faking it. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for uh, sticking with us and faking it with us. And uh, we do have a great episode today with a great topic. Um, we're bringing back a Shinyan Core book, and uh, we're going to be covering their new one, uh, which is the Legend of Anti Poe, and. Before that, we'll just do kind of the regular stuff we usually do. So news, actually, it's going to be very quick today. Uh, all I have on here is that, uh, so Black Mask, uh, the imprint, the comic book company, publisher, whatever you want to call them, um, are now officially back on Comixology. They were not on there for a while. Um, their new stuff wasn't coming wasn't available there or anywhere else digitally so um so yeah it's it's kind of a, a good thing and a big thing for them to to be back on comiXology um alice in leatherland is a new series that has been coming out the last few months that i've really enjoyed definitely uh, happy to see that i can get it digitally instead of having to travel 180 miles to my favorite comic book shop to pick it up so um and then plus uh everfrost and uh, White, which is the uh, the new offshoot of uh, the Black miniseries, are are some of the big hitters that are on the uh, on Comicsology now. So. Yeah, I have no idea why they went off. Do you know why? No, I don't. And in fact, it was I didn't find out till um, Destiny New York uh, got re uh, got reupped. Yeah, reupped like on on um, Black Mask, and I went to look for it, and I, all I could find was the old version of it. So I thought right. maybe it was it was because there was already a version of it on. Comicsology, but then when Alice in Leatherland came out, that wasn't on there either, and mm. other things like the modern Frankenstein wasn't on there. So I was just like, okay, must be something wrong with Black Mask. But yeah, that's how I knew it was Destiny New York. Yeah. Um, but I, I I never knew why. I I could have looked it up, but I just never did. I never really like nothing they were putting out was a necessary read for me. So yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. What? They're back. It's a good voice in the comics industry to have. Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad that they're there. Absolutely. So, so speaking of voices, we're going to use ours now to go ahead and talk about our spotlights. Uh, Darcy, do you want to go first, or do you care? Do you want to go first? I'm Whichever. 
I'm riding a wave of nausea. Can I get mine? Okay. Absolutely can. Carrie's a trooper today. Yeah, I. Um, she's not feeling too well. So I, I want to ask um, everyone listening to keep track of how many times I'm sick during our recordings, because I can guarantee you this will be often. I'm a very sick person all the time, so this is fun. <laughs> so um, I wasn't originally going to do a spotlight again because I haven't felt well, and I was like, oh, I don't know what's. Um, coming out so because I, I literally took our vacation as like a vacation from comics so it was kind of nice and I was kind of like off the off the uh, radar but um so I listened to another podcast um last podcast on the left and it's like one of my favorites and anyway yeah, so do I or yeah, I did um one of the um one of the hosts uh Marcus Parks is really into comics too and so he mentioned a comic about clowns called Ha Ha, oh, and yes. it's from Image, and it's written by um, W. Uh, Maxwell Prince. Yes, and um, he has different um, like artists on every issue, and I think they're up to issue six or seven now. I have not read it. It just looks really fucking weird and creepy, and I'm all for. Again, I'm trying to get into horror, so. It looks cool, so I'm definitely wanting to check that out. So that was my quick spotlight. That's very cool. Um, uh, cool, cool. Zoe Thorogood, uh, former guest of the show um, that did the impending blindness of Billy Scott, actually I think did issue two. Oh, sweet. Of yeah. Haha. So. Oh, nice. Definitely, cool. that's that's a pretty cool tie-in. And, and Ice Cream Man's it's a yeah. great comic. So and that's also an anthology book, yes. uh, horror book. So um, I haven't checked that yet because. Clowns are kind of creepy to me, so I've been kind of... Which is exactly why I want to to read it. So, So, yeah, someone will have to start picking it up. Definitely. Okay, well, how about uh, Darcy? What do you have for us? Um, I, for the most part, went on vacation from comics over the break as (laughs) well. Um, I went to book books and was perfectly happy with book books. Uh, Michelle Sagara's new cast book came out over the break. So I read that and picked up a few used books. But um, my brother's girlfriend's son uh, is in the young uh, comic book stage uh, he's super into dog man and it was his birthday <laughs> kind of over the break so yeah, I figured I would pick him up a couple of things and one of the things I bought him was uh, way of the hive a honeybee story by Jay Hostler. Um, and, uh, I didn't get to read all of it cause I had to give it away because <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a gift, but I read most of it before I, um, uh, gifted it Uh, i didn't break the spine or anything i was very careful (laughs) with it um because it was a gift Uh, but it was super cute um i've looked into jay hostler since i since i picked that up for him uh because uh this boy you know he's not my son so i won't give away his details i'm not going to dox a child uh but (laughs) but uh my brother's girlfriend's son there needs to be a name for that uh he is super into like science and like animals and comics as well uh so this super fit that that category and jay hostler's work seems to be for the most part that sort of thing like he does comics about animals that's very kind of scientific and so it was this cute comic uh about a uh honeybee named um her name is uh 
I'm probably going to say this wrong. I think Nuki. Um, and she's like a new honeybee who's kind of going through her life. And she's asking the questions of like, oh, why do bees go through metamorphosis? What does a queen do? What's my inner voice? Like, what, what do I need to do to live my honeybee life? Aww. And like around these sort of like scientific questions, she's like, you know, who am I? What am I doing? Uh, and the art was just like so interesting and pretty and gorgeous. Um, and so like you had like these really super scientific like educational pages, but you also had like these really great like fun adventure pages as well. Um, and the paneling was great. The art was fantastic. The coloring was really vibrant and wonderful. And then like in the back, there was like more facts about bees. Um, and I jumped on uh, his uh, Twitter and it looks like he does like a lot of he's got like this really specific ant character that he likes to write about. <laughs> um, that's super fun that like he contrasts this like very cartoony ant with like real ants and ant facts. Um, and so I don't know, like his stuff looks like a lot of fun. So that's really cool. I enjoyed it. I hope um, the little boy I gave it to enjoys it and yeah, I, I liked it. I like that stuff. And I'm hoping I get more opportunities. I'm hoping my brother doesn't break up with his girl because I'm hoping <laughs> I get more opportunities to buy kids comics. Yes, I, that is great, especially when you don't have kids to have somebody an outlet like you're going to read this because I like it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's the reason why my nieces and nephews are getting just nothing but Miss Marvel and Squirrel Girl comics. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad they're enjoying it, but that's that's the right. second that's secondary right now. Right, right, right. I looked it up while you were talking about it, and it um I like I like how it's like kind of a realistic slash like you know cartooning style at the same time. Exactly, so, he likes yeah. that contrast. It seems from everything I've seen, like he contrasts these like really cute cartoony insects with like really hardcore realism insects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like yeah, the um the 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 uh the sample pages have like that larva that looks really cartoony and then the bees are like seriously realistic <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so he's got a real broad art style that he works with definitely that's Ooh. really cool i like that a lot it's really it looks really nice and it's also bees are very important and they bees can be scary important. you know did you know a little tray with rocks and water is called a bee hotel like colloquially and I so you, you can make those because especially right now during the summer when they're migrating and pollinating and stuff and it's drier that you make these little bee hotels with the rocks and the water and they rest and drink and wash and then they re they're refreshed enough to make it to the next uh, the next destination. And well, it helps. Cool. Yeah, we taught um, we taught our kids that uh, this past semester. So, you know, little kids like bees, they're not jaded yet like me as an adult where i'm like oh yeah, my god peace yeah. go away you haven't seen the movie my girl with uh oh, Nicole Culkin. <laughs> so sad god damn it <laughs> <laughs> sorry well now that we know the buzz about bees um oh that's lame <laughs> <laughs> but, th but thank you darcy as always for holding up so um I'll guess I'll go go ahead and do my spotlight. Um, so I did end up reading two comics, but definitely not comics for the show. I finally caught up on a 
bunch of DC and Marvel that I haven't been reading because I've been reading mostly indie comics uh, because I, I enjoyed them more as well as because it's for the podcast, you know, like I can't, I can't talk about what Daredevil's doing, you know, on the podcast, but I can talk about what's happening in something is killing the children. So I'll, I'll leave that instead. Um, but um, I uh, went through my backlog yesterday of about three weeks of independent books that, um, and um, I came across one that actually we talked about way back in episode 31 in the news segment um, called Blacksmith uh, number one. And, um, and I was kind of trying to figure out what to read next. I flipped the page, saw it was black and white. And I'll get into that in just a second. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm reading. And I'm probably going to really like this because so um, right when the break started, um, I binged Destiny New York, the aforementioned, um, on, on Darcy's recommendation. And that's a black and white independent comic. It brought back kind of a lot of memories for me of when indie books were black and white and like coming out once every two months i mean that because it was just a cost effective way to you know for a a very very inexpensive way to do a very expensive thing like bring you know polish comics so um black and white will always have a place in my heart and and then thank you darcy like destiny york was absolutely excellent and we'll probably have that as a subject soon um as a volume volume one so i definitely wouldn't have checked that out um, beforehand so that got me into black and white comics saw blacksmith and it was black and white comic as well as um, had that kind of music uh, undertones about it so I was all about it um, so essentially this is a story about um, Janie Jones Mercado nicknamed Strummer uh, who is a private detective in modern day Los Angeles that gets shot with a silver bullet by a group of Nazis from an order named after the giant wolf and slash Loki's son Fenris so why a why a silver bullet so turns out that Strummer is half werewolf or at least half werewolf or half maybe whole werewolf it doesn't really get into it yet on the first issue but um and also a person of color so these nazis who worship wolf gods don't like wolf powers being in people of color because they're assholes and so they try to kill him kill her but she takes care of it um but um later so um she has a a half genie or gin partner um that um is also a private detective and takes care of the uh, of taking pictures of the cheating husband that Stromer was paid to get while she's recuperating from the injury um they end up getting approached by a mr black uh who wants them to retrieve an artifact for him i won't get really into the artifact but it's private detective hard-boiled kind of feel to it. it has like a punk rock feel to it um the character stylings are very very nice and very cool looking um there's uh, a mystical dog named grim that is literally a grim from like an english um cemetery um that uh, is Stromer's pet and um there's a lot of class references obviously because Janie jones is a class song and Stromer is named after obviously joe Stromer, but then she also makes reference that her father was a clash fan and that's how she got the nickname and and meanwhile while listening on her um, on some kind of streaming service rudy can't fail from my personal favorite album london calling so uh definitely hit a lot of uh marks for me 
Yeah, it sounds definitely like something you would like a whole, whole heck of a lot, especially with all the Clash references. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds yeah. very much like you. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was really, really excited, and also because of the music references, and like because like also like Shelley Bond and um and this and the comics that she helped edit were the were the kind of indie books that I got into, even though a lot of them were Vertigo mm-hmm. and those are technically not indie. So music has a big place for me when it comes to indie books. And so yeah. it was kind of nice. It was black and white. I had a music background. It was a fun supernatural horror slash like detective story. It yeah, it hit all the marks. So right. Right. <laughs> okay. Well I'll have to read that. That actually sounds really fun. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I have it all on uh, Comixology. It's, it's available. So definitely, definitely recommend. Um, and I kind of gave away a lot for episode for the first issue, but I feel like this is like a building issue. So it's not like I'm spoiling much. I'm just kind of giving the synopsis. So, um, well, speaking of good things that hit on multiple levels, do you guys want to talk about our main topic now? Yes. Yeah. Carrie's like, please, I'm gonna puke. Let's yeah. get through it. No, no, no. I, I have to, yes, that. But also, you have things to talk about. Yes, I get it. It's just, oh, please, let's talk about it. We've yes. been sitting on it for a while. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's you guys go. Got got through this the beginning. Uh, so thank you very much. And now we'll be talking about the Legend of Anti Po by Xing Yin Kor which is published uh, by uh, Coquila, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So big publisher, actually, which is really cool for Shingen Core. Um, reason why we're doing a Shingen Core book, if you guys don't know, um, you don't listen, listen to our episodes or you haven't <laughs> paid attention to our first episode, which was a Shingen Core book. Uh, it was her American Dream, uh, the book about uh, traveling Route 66, which we all loved. Um, so there was a new book coming out um, by her, and this is a you know a very nice meaty book that's uh, that looks like this is kind of the breakthrough book of her of theirs. So I um, so yeah, we're really happy to to cover it and talk about it because spoiler alert, it's great. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, it's great. Yeah, yeah they um, I, I for me, you know that first book was fantastic 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 i've liked you know the web comic that they did before i've liked all the little uh, the stuff that they put on the nib all of shingen core stuff that they put up everywhere i've always liked um you know i i bought that postcard book that shingen core did i like everything um but this is getting huge praise so congrats yes all across the board and say it with noodles as well is, is oh, awesome. Say it with noodles is and, so good. And also um, reading multiple things by them, um, you kind of see the motifs and a lot of stuff. Mm, like, mm. So, so we'll get into that with the story, but but, yeah, but we will. But, I, so this is technically everyone's choice. So, but Darcy, um, I hope you don't mind giving don't us mind. doing the synopsis and a little bit story for us about I this don't book. Mind. Excellent. Yeah, we'll, we'll flip it all the way around yep. uh, to I started it, I'll continue it kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So 
the legend of Auntie Poe uh, takes place in the American West, essentially. It's about loggers, a logging company in the Sierra Nevadas in 1885. Uh, Timing is important because this takes place after the Page Act, uh, which came in the 1870s, and the Chinese Exclusion Act, which came in 1882, uh, both of which limited uh, Chinese migration into or Chinese immigration into the U.S. Uh, the Page Act was Chinese immigration of Chinese women, uh, and Chinese Exclusion Act was Chinese immigration of Chinese men, and both together pretty much limited the rights of Chinese men and women and uh, Chinese born uh, children within um, the American borders. Uh, important because it has impact on the main character who is May. Uh, May is the daughter, uh, is a, a girl who lives in this logging camp and is daughter to Hao, who is the head cook for the camp. Uh, her best friend is B, or Beatrice, who is the daughter of the foreman of the camp, Mr. Anderson. And the story is basically deals with the May and B's day-to-day -day life in the logging camp. Um, it kind of goes throughout the, the kind of season for the camp of, um, you know, logging, essentially, during this period of time. Um, Shingen Core basically deals with the issues that concern um, Chinese immigrants that happen, uh, though she does mention, or excuse me, they do mention in the back matter that uh, they left out a lot of concerns for Native workers, uh, Native American workers that would have been prevalent during the same period, uh, because Shingen Core thought that uh, it would have been uh, complex and they weren't sure that they were the right person to speak on this issue. Uh, so when we talk about this, we're going to be focusing on probably uh, the story of the Chinese workers because that's the story that Shingen Core chose to tell in this comic book. Uh, so it's not that Shingen Core doesn't understand that that was an issue and that it wasn't an issue at the time. It's just that's the story that Shingen Core chose to tell. So, uh, uh, May is a young adult during this period, a teenager. Uh, I don't know that we're ever given an age. We're not. Um, I think it's mentioned that, that she's 13. Is she 13? Uh, at least in the no back way. matter. No way. That's like in, in the back wait. matter? In the back matter. Yeah. Thir in, on the back of the book, 13 year old May. 13. Okay. Oh, wow. I missed yeah. that. Yeah, me too. I, okay. I only noticed it till like this today. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I must have missed that. I, I, I thought I read all the back matter, but I completely missed it. I would have put her at 15 or 16. Me yeah. too. Right. When I was reading it, uh, same thing. I thought 15, 16, especially when the, uh, towards later when I said, oh, in a couple of years, I'm going to college. In college, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it is, I guess, a couple of years if you do. Well, they went to college yeah. fairly young back then. It, they yeah. did. Yes. Um, so May is a young girl who works for her father in the kitchens, making pie, uh, essentially for the loggers. Um, and the way the camp is broken down, um, kind of the white loggers have 
this big kitchen and dining area area the chinese loggers do not and they have a different room and board set up the white loggers get room and board the chinese loggers not so much um and uh, we stay mainly with may and her day-to-day -day life her hanging out with b and what she does in her free time is she tells other children in the camp younger children in the camp stories of auntie po uh, auntie po penyin um who is a kind of analog for paul bunyan uh, and uh po penyin's uh pay pay the blue ox <laughs> and uh Auntie Poe and Pei Pei are like loggers. Uh, she says at first, uh, and the children at first are like, tell us, you know, stories of China. And May's like, I've never been to China, but sure, China's got logs, right? China's got trees. <laughs> uh, but anytime you see Auntie Poe, Auntie uh, Poe's Aunt po definitely in America because she's dealing with um, loggers who look like the loggers in May's camp. Mm -hmm. So yes. Auntie Poe's always with them. Um, and so... Auntie Poe is this character who, uh, for May, looks Chinese. Anytime May's, through May's eyes, which is kind of like an older Chinese woman with a giant blue ox, of course, uh, as, as you must have if you're a giant logger, uh, you <laughs> must have a giant blue ox who is adorable as heck. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, May tells these stories and all the stories are different, but they are, you know, larger than life logging stories of uh, doing the biggest tall tale logging. You know, she saves people or she takes down the most trees or she whatever and whatnot. You know, she's doing logging stories and she's giant. Fights for workers' rights. <laughs> Fights for, you know, occasionally fights for workers' rights uh, when workers aren't getting the right rights. You know, she's working out her issues through anti-post stories, yeah. mm -hmm. as you do. Um, as time goes on, uh, stuff from out, you know, occasionally we'll see uh, Mr. Anderson and Howe have their own kind of side story, which deals with more, you know, like real life issues, uh, adult issues, uh, which is um, the town has definite anti-Chinese worker bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, another mill, another area has like burned down a whole place where Chinese workers have been and they're threatening to boycott um, the mill because it has Chinese employees and uh, the owners of the company are like, you know, we can't have that. And Mr. Anderson is, says, you know, I, I, I have to let you go if I'm going to keep the mill running. And so Mr. Howe and the Chinese employees are kind of forced to be let go. Not all of them, though. Some of them stay. I'm not sure what that's about. It's not fully explained. Um, and May is allowed to stay with B uh, because uh, town isn't exactly safe. Um, but kind of, I guess they think they can hide May with B. Um they won't think she's there or something. Um, but that means the only person to cook now is Mr. Anderson's um, younger brother, who's a really yes. crappy cook. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the whole camp uh, is either sneaking off to um, have May cook for them um, or 
uh, eating really crappy, awful food. And so they have like a camp wide rebellion. Mm -hmm. uh, no work for bad food is their <laughs> slogan, which I kind of loved. Uh -huh. um, someone's like, it's not a great slogan. I'm like, kind of actually is. It I really kind of love actually. it. Actually, it kind of gets right down to the root <laughs> it, of things. It, exactly. It's it kind does. of, it's succinct and it's to the point. Uh, so it's, they're like, no work for bad food. And they're like throwing axes at Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yeah. And Mr. Anderson's like, well, okay, I guess I got to go get Mr. Howe. And so he goes to town, he gets Mr. Howe, who's cooking in a restaurant. And Mr. Howe's like, I know why you're here. Because <laughs> no one else in that camp can cook than me. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, I want the pay you're giving your brother. And he, Mr. Anderson's like, no, you don't. I wasn't paying him as much as you. Um, <laughs> and then he's like, what else do you want? And Mr. Howe's like, you need to feed the Chinese workers, the same as you feed the white workers. Uh, we want Chinese New Year celebration. He's mm -hmm. like, okay. And he's like, May wants a pony. <laughs> and, yeah, that was great. And Mr. Anderson's like, a pony? Okay, I can do that. And Mr. Howe's like, oh, May doesn't want a pony. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Let's go back. <laughs> and so they go back, they set up again, everybody's happy because they can actually, you know, like not die of food poisoning from eating slugs or whatever. Uh, what's his name was feeding them. Mm -hmm. And they go back to work. Um, now they're at the part of the logging season where they're sending the logs that they've cut and cleared downstream um, on a river run. Uh, which you've seen in a bazillion old movies if you like to watch old movies very fun stuff or cartoons like to do it mm -hmm. sometimes where well, you're well, running logs down the river and people are running on top of them happens mm -hmm. in like fight scenes a lot lots of fun um, and every once in a while you'll get a log jam um, and you got to dynamite those things if they get too bad and they send them to dynamite and uh, it gets bad it's a bad long jam. It's a bad dynamiting. Uh, and May covers the kids' eyes and starts telling them the story about anti Annie Poe uh, cleaning it up and saving people. Obviously, that's not what's happening. Uh, people are, like, very, very injured and having to go in and clear things up. Uh, and in the end, uh, Polly, who I haven't mentioned before, but Polly, um, bees brother and Mr. Anderson's son uh, dies in this log jam um, and it's very sad it's very tragic it takes mm -hmm. them three days to find his body and they bury him by the side of the river because obviously this is a logging camp logging camps move um, they loggers and logging they're nomadic you once you finish tearing down the logs you've got to go find another set of logs to or trees to tear down and turn into logs right you, you, you don't stay in one place <laughs> right <laughs> you don't even really necessarily want them to grow again you want to go find new ones because yeah, exactly. it takes too many freaking hundred years mm -hmm. um so they bury him by the side of the river essentially uh and they leave a wax corked bottle with his name in it um because it's an old tradition that the uh, Chinese workers who worked on the railroads used to do uh, in case somebody finds them, uh, because obviously they also just got buried by the side of the trains. 
Um, continuing on from there, uh, they kind of finish up that job. Uh, they have Chinese New Year. Um, and Mr. Anderson gifts all the Chinese workers with, uh, I one assumes, financial gifts. Um, and Mr. Anderson says that he and Polly were always going to go off to make their own family meal, like mill. They, were, they weren't going to continue working for the owners of the company that they're working for. They wanted to go make their own family small mill. Um, and instead asked Mr. Howe to go off with him uh, to go work in San Francisco or near San Francisco where um, it will be safer for him and that may might eventually be able to get work. Uh, and this kind of changes things for May and maybe for B as well because May and B have always been like telling each other these stories about what they'll do in the future. Like maybe May will create a pie shop or go um, write stories and B will maybe have a husband and do whatever. And May always says, well, this is B's story that B is making up. Um, but it can't be my story because, again, as I said, the various laws that have taken place in America at this point, there's a lot of stuff she can't do. She pretty much just expects to be a cook for the rest of her life. Uh, but now Mr. Anderson is saying things are changing. We can go to certain places. And I think at this point, your daughter if she tests properly, if, if she has the right support, she can go to university. And um, Mr. Howe and Mr. Anderson kind of come to this uh, partnership that they are going to go make this mill uh, and May is going to go with them. B is going to move to Wisconsin. Uh -huh. um, uh, with her aunt and uncle to kind of study up to become a, a, a lady to probably actual study studying but also not to be just a logger's wife but to come to like broaden her horizons and um, may has kind of been seeing for real for real uh auntie poe this whole time and she kind of goes out uh, and says goodbye because she's moving on with her life uh b has not really been seeing her but sometimes maybe been seeing her and she goes out and says goodbye with her as well um and that's pretty much the end mm -hmm. and, and bc i think b finally sees annie Poe at the end she kind of sees she yeah. kind of sees her when polly dies for yeah. half a second at the same time the little boy not sam Henry, Henry, Henry also sees her not as not as May sees her because May sees her as a older Chinese woman and Henry sees her as like um, maybe yeah. like his mom. Yeah, like mm -hmm. somebody about his mom's age is a black woman um, because I guess you see Auntie Poe as you are kind of thing. As, as someone you honor or admire or something like that like yeah any kind of like uh folktale you 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 kind of put yourself in the story right exactly. or, or you put you yeah you put what you're familiar with yeah so oh uh yeah so yeah this was a pretty amazing story uh Definitely. um i 
it, it's a it's a nice look into folk tales and what, what creates them, what kind of perpetuates them. At the same time, it's a very poignant story. Um, honestly, if I I know our demographic of listeners, that I'm pretty sure you're all not the type of of comic book readers that will question this. But <laughs> if anyone ever questions, like why is it important to have other voices writing? comics or writing mm. stories mm. give them this book because this book could have not been written better by anybody else you know no. so the, the, and this is a very poignant story it's a wonderful story it's something that needs to be told and needs to be heard so well what i find really interesting about this story is that when you're american and you're an american of color American folk tales aren't yours. Mm. You know, I mean, I've grown up learning about Paul Bunyan and all these other tall tales. Never once did they resonate with me because I'm like, oh, it's just a big tall white dude cutting down trees (laughs) and that's fun. Yay. Mm -hmm. Because it never, you don't see yourself in those stories. Um, Especially what I found with when, uh, with Shin Yin Kor, when they're talking about, they, they emphasize not being born in China. They emphasize not knowing China. That's very much the experience of children of immigrants. You don't have the same connection to your ancestral homeland that your elders do. So there is a very definitive voice in this book about who does not have a tie to either where they're at or where they're from Mm -hmm. and you find this um I want to say the words like diaspora I'm probably wrong but it's this thing and it happens to a lot of first and second gen children of immigrants and I speak from personal experience it is this fucked up feeling of not knowing where you fit in because you don't look like a certain group but culturally you do not belong to your ancestral homeland you don't feel the connection so I I was blown away by the book because they're putting into perspective something that I think a lot of people like me have a hard time getting like putting the words to and it was just really nice to see it visually because I'm like oh I totally understand this I understand Mm -hmm. where this is like where some of some of it's coming from obviously I don't pretend to like know everything but like it was just the book's really good I just thought it was an amazing story. And I love the part that made me cry the most because I did cry a lot during the reading. Um, again, don't have me read when I'm sick. I've no, I've noticed <laughs> this. Um, but like I, when Henry sees his own version of Auntie Poe, yeah. that got me. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's the power of creativity that's the power of storytelling you know is we are in charge of our of of our own not dream but you know like we're just in charge of our own thoughts and it's anything we want it to be and I thought that was really powerful 
Yeah. Right. And that was kind of earlier on, but that same point for me, like that same point being made, but earlier on in the story was that every time she kept reiterating um, when dealing with B, um, that this is B's story. Uh huh. She wouldn't always necessarily say not mine, but that idea that this is B's story. Yes. This is B's story. This is B's story. She wouldn't necessarily negate it she wouldn't say nope that's not going to happen for me mm -hmm. she was very yeah. supportive of these daydreams that they were having together but afterwards in in those thought bubbles or whatever in that in that aside it was always you know this is this is just a dream that B's having I'm yes. not actually a part of it and uh I've read it three times now and it killed me every single <laughs> time <laughs> Yeah, because um, because I mean that kind of gets also brought up with the um, the fact that she that um, May when she's talking about any Poe, she talks about her gods and like mm -hmm. her made up gods essentially, and so it's like they have to um, and, you know so she feels definitely like the outsider, you know, like because that she has to make her own gods. Yeah, because because obviously there's legends, and she even references Paul Bunyan as being an inspiration to the story of Antipo that she's telling but she, she onion, yeah 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 exactly and so she has to tell but she has she tells it through her voice and through her way because right. that's the way she relates to it so yeah like seeing yourself in the story is absolutely important and so that's that is great you know it just 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 kind of had that reiterated you know absolutely and also um the big part of it too is that um, is that May is also gay, and yeah. it's the nineteenth century, so there's not much going for her. And, and you know, with that, obviously, that's just another thing that people are going to look down up, upon her with as. Yeah. And so, and I I love how that was handled in in the story where basically May was just like, oh. I, you know, like B's like, oh, like yo, we'll get married, and May's like, I don't like guys, and then she's B's like, okay, then you start the store, and I'll get married, and, and we'll you, run it together. You know, and you like, can feed my kids pies. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, you know, I mean, like it's not if this if that was something that like was said in the twenty first century, obviously that wouldn't be like one hundred percent great, but like in this the period of the story, nineteenth century, that's very yeah very nice and very right. loving yeah i'm know, not gonna force you into having here. a husband i'm gonna support you yeah like yeah. what do you mean you don't like guys everyone yeah. likes guys except yeah. guys <laughs> you know so yeah so um but yeah so that and was... i like that she left it kind of open for b like there's exactly. that there's that because she forgot that handsome husband really really fast <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah b, b totally forgets that that part of her fantasy was having the, the handsome husband and and then also like there's only that one moment where she's kind of crushing on the the cute new uh guy that's uh the logger and then that's yeah. instantly gone like yeah so yeah there's a lot of there's but a lot of nuance and a lot of questions it does take it back that they're 13 they are yeah. pretty young yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so who knows they are pretty young yeah, definitely. Um, another thing to, I think, talk about real quick 
is the coloring, the watercolors. Mm. Um, I going back to Shingen Core's art, man. Yes, her stuff is, or their stuff is just freaking phenomenal. Just phenomenal. I want to know what size of paper they're working with because watercolor is not the most accurate style of painting yet everything is just perfect in this like it's everything's in line it's just it's beautiful so like i'm assuming that the original artwork is maybe a little bit bigger to make sure everything gets in lines and everything gets in 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 order so with that being said, if there is a bigger version of the art, please let's have a bigger edition, <laughs> larger <laughs> art edition. This is a big comic. The, the book is a large size, but like if we get a full size, giant size comic or, you know, like edition, that would even be great, be even better because the art is wonderful in this. Is it watercolor I, or is it? Is it? I was guessing it's watercolor. It looks like almost a mixed medium Mm. like the background's very much watercolor but there are points where i'm like it could almost be i don't know yeah um yeah yeah i can see like the the actual like the the skin tones and the and the clothes and stuff like that because they're so that could be well i will definitely i'm hoping that they have a interview or something and they kind of reveal exactly the, the creation of this art because I would love to hear more about that, <laughs> you know. Cause, yeah, because just B's hair is so saturated, for example. There are some things that are just so saturated that I was I was kind of wondering if it was full watercolor. Yeah. Yeah, that is but that you is know what? Point. Maybe it's just it's I don't understand art, which is completely true. We just don't <laughs> we just know what's nice. It's just a hundred percent factual. I don't understand <laughs> art. Yeah, and but neither, yeah, it's 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 beautiful. The whole book is beautiful, and there are so many just full on pages, especially with some of those logging scenes. And there's so many there's so many pages. I know on their Twitter they made a bit of a joke where it was like, um, what did they say? I I got away with so many. Um, full pages of of uh just explaining different kinds of saws (laughs) (laughs) that was awesome and they really did yeah Yeah, they they totally did and that's that's a trope that um that they use it it really is Um, there's there's one of like kitchen utensils too which is very shingen core (laughs) if you read any shingen core stuff like oh i'm gonna have a page with different kitchen utensils (laughs) that was a great usage of chapter breaks you know and and also and and for anybody who's a fan of of shingen core that's read other stuff by them that's kind of almost like a nudge to them like hey this is like you know this is what i like to do <laughs> you know because like, mm-hmm. you know, even like in Route 66 there's the diagrams and there's a there's like the descriptions of, of stuff as as they go along and so 
and this and same same with this this book you know like um i'm glad that they they used the chapter breaks because it might have kind of took everyone out of the story if it was during the story so mm. it was good good idea also a map in the beginning you know I, I, i'm all about maps I gotta like love maps. a map yeah <laughs> exactly so it's always always great to have um but yeah and um i love how is it Pepe, right? The Pepe, yeah, I loved Pepe. How basically Pepe is a giant blue dog. <laughs> and, it's a bit of a giant blue dog, yeah. And, and that was that was great because like and like and then even in when 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 May would imagine like like if if like if if she wasn't imagining um uh, Auntie Poe, she was still imagining that that um Pepe was there to kind of comfort everybody and just be this big galoot you know like, <laughs> yeah Pepe did show up a lot more than antipo yeah but it was it was great you know like because it was almost like a spirit guide almost you know like uh like i'm 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 helping you you know get through these these tough times you know as a silent as a silent visitor and, silent <laughs> and guide. that first appearance of Pepe, where he kind of came around the corner and came around the corner of those panels was mm-hmm. really well framed and very interestingly framed mm-hmm. like yes. just reading that page was very fun and interesting it was very well laid out there was a lot of really interesting page layouts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely uh, each page is basically a piece of art you know which is mm-hmm. which is nice to see and um yeah, it, it it just you know the, the full on color color work and 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 just the flow of the story and the panel work and everything it's just it's just great. Did you guys mention? Because um, sorry if I missed it. Did you guys mention the best quote of the book? Probably not. When no, when uh, B's talking about her daydream of marrying rich and blah 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 and talking about all her kids and uh may tells her your kids you're gonna have all what does she say like you're gonna have so many cream-filled children yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, your your fat little cream-filled children yeah. <laughs> yeah. because of all the pies that because, yeah. because of all the pies yeah, yeah that's great um i i also like how in even in may's stories any pose not infallible Mm-hmm. Um, the whole the the first story one of the first stories that she tells of Andy Poe about the uh, the mosquitoes and the bees and how they she accidentally creates mosquito giant mosquito bee yeah. hybrids like yeah like like that's that you know like even though Andy Poe is this mythical creature <laughs> you know or mythical person it, obviously she's still in effect human and she's relatable because you know <laughs> with butt stingers she, she actually mouth created and mouth, mouth and butt mouth stingers, and butt stingers. <laughs> yeah so yeah it's funny so it's no it's definitely very cool and um mr anderson and and uh, may's father their relationship to this whole thing um actually man the character growth on both of their parts is amazing for side characters (laughs) you know um mr anderson he's not a racist person he definitely he's like one of the, the least racist people in the story but he's especially for the 1800s yeah exactly but he is he's unfortunately bound by society's racism to do things unfortunately that he doesn't want to do like fire the the chinese cooks and stuff like that and and so and it really 
it ends up really paying a price on him. And so then when he comes back, you know, to to rehire and and um and have and have the Chinese cooks come back and because he needs someone to cook and be able to cook well. Um, you know, that that was like, you know, like, like yeah, like it's a necessity, but then you get the feeling that this is actually what he really wanted in the in the in the the, the long run, essentially. Yeah, right. he's he's not racist. He's just not strong enough necessarily to be like the first person to stand up against yeah. the racism kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's just he's he's a man of his time essentially. Yeah. Xing and Kor didn't make him a revolutionary, which no. is which makes sense because. Yeah most people aren't revolutionaries yeah it's it's hard to be a revolutionary he didn't change his stripes until he needed to change his stripes Mm -hmm. until the other people revolutionaried for him Mm -hmm. yes exactly and definitely was a willing follower of that revolution but yeah but yeah no and and that's that's you know that's something you know like racism will perpetuate (laughs) self-hatred will perpetuate unless Mm. he's take a stand and even if you're if you don't say anything you're still an accomplice you know like to yeah. it yeah yeah mm-hmm. you can you can be as nice a friend as you can be to your friend yeah. of a different you know whatever your yeah. your different race friend your different gender friend your different you know minority friend of whatever striper button or whatever i can't think of different words right now but you know no matter how different your friend is if you treat systemically and not support then it doesn't really matter kind of thing and in this case it was a it didn't really matter kind of thing and it came back to bite him in the ass Mm -hmm. exactly because he he didn't support in the end he did not support his friend and his friend's people and -hmm. it came back to bite him in the ass so was he racist individually? No. Well, but was he supportive? No. No, at the same time. Exactly. And um, and then and how that is the story is told with that whole dynamic by having May's father always referring to him as Mr. Anderson, even when mm-hmm. he's like, oh no, call me by my first name because we've known each other for so long. And yeah. then and then, you know, and he's like, okay mr anderson until the very end where it's like he deserves kind of being Mm -hmm, called by his like when he actually becomes friends you know when they actually become companions and friends and partners that's when then that's when finally the first name is uttered by by may's father you know that's pretty amazing which is hard for an american to say yeah i liked i thought yeah exactly exactly the the name the name that of of mr anderson was difficult to say for for any person you know it doesn't matter where they're from you know in america you know so that was great and also the 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 nuance and the mention of language with me how because like many immigrant parents um will especially this maybe not these recent generations but i know previous generations um will be very much like 
oh, you're not, you're going to be speaking English all the time. Yep, that's you're, exactly what happens. Yeah, and you're not, you're not going to learn our language, and that kind of unfortunately kind of alienate, further alienates the, the kid from their their culture of you know yeah. of, of their ancestors. You lose, you lose your native tongue. Yeah, but at the same time, it's 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 done by the the parents to help integrate their kids so they don't have to suffer with you know the situations that they might have had to because they have an accent or because they don't understand fully the language mm-hmm. that everyone's speaking which is funny because at this time most people were speaking german not english in in the united states so you know but still you know english was the the language of business so um but yeah i um yeah i really liked um may's dad a lot i saw mm-hmm. a lot of parallels between between him and like my own father Hmm. um just I don't know it's just it's really and I don't know if it's if I'm looking for it or if you guys just choose such fucking great books that I'm I'm seeing it but you know um when you're how do I say it like um also, if you're listening and you're playing podcast bingo, I threw up during recording. So yes. you can check that yeah. circle off your bingo card. Um, maybe that's why I can't think right now. But um, it's uh, it's one of those things where you're you're trying. I don't have the words for it, but it's just like you. I'm noticing the older I'm getting, and my parents are aging most of my grandparents are dead. Um, I don't speak to a a lot of family. The family I do speak to, we've already lost connection with our ancestral roots. So, you know, I'm California Mexican. It's a whole new thing. It's not even like what we were, you know, what my family is, so to speak. So the older I'm getting, the more you want to cling to these things that you're not, you're not familiar with, you know, like, it's like, oh, all of my people are dying or they're aging. So I really want to know more before everybody's gone before I'm the oldest. And then what the fuck do I do? I don't know anything, you know, I can't pass anything on. So seeing like reading these books about these sorts of things, it, it makes you want to know more and it makes you really want to kind of like delve deeper into your own like familial history because there are people that you know died before they were able to come over to America so you don't you've lost that connection already and so I don't know I just I found the whole thing really poignant and I was like oh this is really cool this is a nice book to read Mm -hmm. so my little rant for the day no and and I think Part of it is the way Shingen Core writes stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Like everything, like what Brian said at the beginning, like if you follow everything that Shingen Core has done, uh, they have this kind of themes that you can find. And a lot of it comes from that idea of you know family Mm -hmm. and that that depth of family and family history uh 
say it with noodles is a good one to pull back mm-hmm. and that that connection between family and family legacy and language all of that's there in say it with noodles food uh mm-hmm. and all of that's here in uh like uh in in auntie poe and um the stories are vastly different say it with noodles is a biography an autobiography uh and this is completely fictional and yet all of those same concepts exist in both stories all of it is in american dream like all of it yeah uh, they're all in all of these stories and yet they're all vastly different um and i find that incredibly interesting and how they're able to make them i think so incredibly poignant and so Mm -hmm. incredibly uh, how they resonate so well with people who have uh very little of those connections uh i'm incredibly white i'm incredibly disconnected from any sort of 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 movement between my family history i have no idea where i came from uh as far as i know england possibly i have no clue um but the the history part of it is what really gets me and the food uh, my family has a really deep connection with like feeding people and <laughs> and 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 cooking together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I hope my aunts never listen to this. My aunts aren't necessarily great cooks. They think <laughs> they are. Let me tell you, uh, but they're not the best. Um, but uh, we still we like we love to cook together. Like cooking together was like a really big deal for my family. Um, even my dad now is like super into freaking cooking, which didn't happen until recently. Hmm. Uh, He started like, he started only working three days or four days a week. And so like Mondays he doesn't work. So now he cooks for my mom Uh, and it's like a thing that happens now. And so (laughs) cooking is like this really huge thing for my family and like passing down recipes and like this whole thing with macaroni and my grandfather and like he makes (laughs) the best macaroni and cheese of anybody in the whole world and like (laughs) like food is a big deal for family Mm -hmm. so even if like you know you don't have this immigrant story which i don't i've got no like personal connection to that it's still incredibly important historically so Mm -hmm. i get that and the fact that it's so historically accurate um resonates with me but even without any of that Um, And even without the fact that it's just really good storytelling and you can connect with it on just a good storytelling level, the food stuff always works for me in every story Shingenkor writes because holy crap, I feel that so strongly from my family. No, absolutely. It's also very, sorry. Oh no, I was going to say really quick that I read, um, American Dream, because I wasn't obviously on the podcast at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I read it based on, you know, what Brian had said and what, and what he said you had said. And I mean, I like I read The Legend of Auntie Poe, like what, in like 40 minutes? Yeah. And like, <laughs> I read that, I read American Dream in like maybe as much time, if not less. I mean, I just, I devoured these books. Like they're so good, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I... I really, again, and like what you were to echo back to what you're saying, completely different book, American Dream, but just as deep of resonation, like just so good. And and also um, 
the food in, in American Dream, besides kind of being a familial thing, it was also a like a, a culture thing. You know, there's an entire yeah. page about the In and Out Burger in California. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah. and which is culturally that is a California staple. You know, so it's like, right? Yeah, you know, and and it gets into like the um the the tacos and stuff in Arizona and Mexico. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's just yeah, definitely you can try travel culinarily essentially through exactly through or through the united states um, yeah. yeah so um that and also um the uh, you know um shingy core um talks about the muffler men in uh american dream yes and essentially antipo is are... is a muffler man yeah you know because the, the muffler larger... men are paul bunions yeah exactly <laughs> the larger than life you know almost godlike you know, creature character, you know, that's up there, you know, might, might be sell, selling hats or tires, but, 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 you know, they're, they're very, you know, they're very godlike essentially because of how big and tall they are. So, yeah. And that's like an, like an American God kind of thing too. You know, Very so. much so. Yeah. Because, I, because if this story took in, took place in China, I don't know if Andy Poe would be 12 feet tall, <laughs> you know, like that, that I, that's more of an American thing, I think. Yeah. I Googled a little bit. I just did a quick passing google and i didn't see anything i'm sure there's something it's kind of one of those things like when we were talking about um magic fish there are some stories that are kind of um universal and yes. i think large people is probably a pretty universal storytelling <laughs> mechanism honestly uh they you know they exist in so many places giants are pretty universal yeah so i i saw something about giants in china but not not quite like this yeah. not quite paul bunyan paul bunyan's a kind of specific you know like rural um you know kind of like help you out kind of giant as opposed to like you know like norse frost giant scary giants like a lot of times giants are scary yes you know Mm -hmm. even like the giant in uh jack and the beanstalk giants giants are usually like scary giants Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas paul bunyan's like a helpful giant right exactly yeah and and and, or like in like irish mythology kukulin am i saying the name kukulin um, yeah, is more indifferent to to mm. regular sized people, you know. So Paul Bunyan's more of like, a, yeah, the helpful giant, which is not normally seen as as far as I know, <laughs> in such an America. Mm. Well, so, uh, but but yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great book. Yeah, um, super good. So I um, well, let me see. I'm just going through, but quick things i wrote down here um yeah equal rights treat you know oh um this is kind of weird how things happen like this um as i mentioned before i was reading through a bunch of comics that i had picked up that i haven't read i was doing that yesterday just after i read this book for the show um and one of the books i'm reading is the good asian uh, mm. which it's a taste place to the 1930s. It's basically about the first, like basically the first ever um, Asian American police officer. It's a, it's like a detective noir story. This takes place in 1930s San Francisco. And, um, and that is taking place in the 30s. So it's 60 years after this story, or maybe 
40 years after the story it's it's, it's definitely you know a few decades and yet the chinese exclusion act is still a huge part of that story and that's just really sad how much that resonated for so many decades and so even to today you know like like these decisions made by the government to to kind of oppress or to limit other people other other color or or other ways of living you know just because yeah the the chinese exclusion act was a special is originally supposed to only be, be 10 years because like the the first the first time it was the, the first time Congress proposed that it, it was supposed to be 20 and the president vetoed it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's bullshit. 20 years is a long fucking time. <laughs> and they came back and they were like, well, how about 10? And he was like, that's bullshit. But, uh, you know, bipartisanship or whatever. <laughs> okay, it's fine. 10, years. 10, 10 years. 10 years is, is cooperation or something. I mm-hmm. don't know. And so he signed it at 10 years instead of 20 because it's less um and so at that point we had the page act which had been going on already for 10 years almost and then the chinese exclusion act it was like well it's not 20 it's only 10 but then they kept re-upping it exactly and 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 then they did the um what was the other one the origins act or something like that which was in the early 1900s which didn't just do chinese it did like everybody in asia yep yeah and and then then there's there's uh laws that were passed against um native americans obviously and the mexicans and Mm. japanese and and then later even the 20s um um Middle Eastern Asians again with the Immigration Act of 1924, the Johnson Reed Act. Yeah, yeah, that was. Was that the yeah. Origins Act? Was 24? I think. Yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just. Yeah, I mean, this is the the thing is is that this is all kind of skirted through real fast in in American education. You know, it's kind of like oh, like fingers in the ears like la 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 this never really happened that you know and this is definitely important because you can't move on unless you learn from past mistakes so so yeah i mean yeah. it's just but yeah i digress but so i thought that was really interesting though that that two stories that take place 50 to 60 years apart are dealing with the same shitty laws yeah so so, yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, it was crazy because I thought the Chinese Exclusion Act was. I mean, I thought it was a long time, and I was looking it up to check how long it lasts, and then I saw it was only supposed to be ten years, and I was like, "That's some bullshit." Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, they just kept extending it, and kept extending it, and kept extending it, kind of like you know, that war we're still in for some reason. Yeah. Like, why not? And then if you really think about it, like the time period of Legend of Antipo is like what, 1885? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. that long ago. Not no. that long ago. Which is nuts. Not necessarily not. I mean, we're not we're not as great of a civilization as we'd like to all think. We're no, actually not at all. that's only 20 years after slavery ended. <laughs> you know, I know everything's all fucked. So it's yeah. And and then and, and then in 1885, women didn't have the right to vote. And and nobody but white males had the right to vote actually in the yeah. US. So 
so yeah <laughs> or you know like if for those who talk about the the good old days you know like you know they might not have been good for everybody oh no <laughs> it's good to know that not at all yeah. um oh never mind oh it's not relevant to the book it's fine okay well um back on the book uh well i i kind of went through all all my talking points do you guys have anything else you guys want to talk about about the book did you guys talk about the cute scene in the in the kitchen where uh b is learning how to chop finally from may no no but that was adorable right? oh my gosh i loved that their relationship was very very cute and endearing and i i know that i think may was obviously crushing on b very much so. Oh and, yeah. But I like how it ended where B was kind of or May was kind of like, I don't really need B, you know, like I'll move on and I can find somebody else that might actually like me back. In that well, way. I don't think there was ever like an actual affirmation on May's part about the way she felt towards B. I think the friendship with this is just my interpretation. I think yeah. the friendship with B helped her discover that the way that she was reacting to some of the things that B was saying, because there's a point where she's like, B just likes normal girl things. I should like that too, right? Yeah. And she's like, but I don't, like she's angry. So then she's looking for kindling. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just one of those things where I think in her own internal talking, she realizes that maybe she's a different type of girl girl yeah he is and she doesn't like the same quote-unquote girly things that b does mm -hmm. and um so i don't think she ever if she well it's we're led to assume that she has a crush on b i don't think may knew she had a crush on b i think i don't know i don't know because she was i i think she was very I don't know because she left really fast when B I, was mad about or B was looking at that boy looking at that boy yeah she left mad and then but it's like I think the realization if she has one is in the kitchen when yeah. she's holding in, her and the dancing yeah yes. yeah that part too but I don't I don't know I just I don't think it's like a full realization of like, whoa, I like her. I think it's just like a, whoa, my pants feel funny. Or also, the thing. Feel funny. also <laughs> the anchor uh, when B's looking at the boy, and that is very funny. I, <laughs> I just kind of hit me what you just said there. Um, but, but no, B, um, I think maybe the fact that May doesn't have the same feelings that B does towards the boy also makes May feel angry and different. Like, because, like, why don't I feel the way? girls are supposed to towards boys you know? oh i i don't know i just yeah. i yeah it, it struck the, me the, more as jealousy than personal yeah. hatred yeah yeah and like the there. the revelation comes with the chopping lesson and the dancing you know i think if there's one yeah. that's when it happens yeah, there was a lot of blushing at that chopping. There Super was. cute. But also, but also at the first dancing scene. Definitely. There was a lot yes, of blushing. There was blushing. It's really cute. It was I love super it. Super cute. No, yeah, definitely. There was a, a lot put into the story. Yeah. Really good. Definitely. 
So everyone should read it. It's a good book. And what would you say that the age uh, is for readers is on this? It's, is it's listed as a middle grade book. So, mm -hmm. you know, like 12, about, you know, like May's age, I guess, now that we yeah. know she's 13. Like, so middle school age. Um, but obviously I loved it. So, hey, you're yeah. 35, 36 years old, read this book. That's great. But <laughs> definitely, like, if you have a sixth grade class and you want them to have some understanding of history, throw this book at them. Definitely. Uh, this is an excellent book for 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old <laughs> kids as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think this runs the gamut of if you've got somebody uh, with, I think as long as they're 11 years old, they should be able to understand the language. Um, and I don't think any of the violence in it that, you know, the brother dying is kind of sad. Yeah, I but kind it's not of, violence I mean, super at all. fucking sad but there's no mm -hmm. violence in it there's no like there there's no like nothing explicit occurs no uh yeah. so i think 11 and above is fine for the events that happen um and for content it gives really excellent education and the emotions are fantastic mm -hmm. uh, so it would be great for anybody middle school high school and you know if you appreciate art as an adult it's beautiful absolutely definitely i think i know it's all it's july but i'm already thinking that multiple copies of these will be found in people's stockings <laughs> for christmas yeah that that would actually this be is, this is probably this is definitely something i want to share i mean i know some pretty smart 12 year olds and some really stupid 13 year olds <laughs> yes so i i don't know <laughs> I think it depends on how smart they are. Yeah. No offense to anybody's child who may or may not be. I mean, I work with children and the children I work with are amazing, but the um I mean I'm just thinking of some of my family members and I'm like, yeah. And my family members. Yeah, they're maybe not the <laughs> best. I'm least. trying to think of an excuse to give it to that seven year old boy. Yeah. I know. Oh I know. <laughs> Read this when you're when you get a little older. Yeah, that's yeah. in case my brother breaks up with your mom. Here, keep yeah. this. I I think you that's an excellent point because there's so many books where they're not age appropriate for younger children. And it's really difficult because Brian and I have always gone over this of like what books, because I'm yeah, if you're like in our family, if I don't want to spend time shopping on you, I like, and you're a kid, I give you cash because I'm like, I don't know what you want anymore. You're like 17. You don't like anything that I think you like. So this is just easier. <laughs> but like when, when the kid's really close to us, I try to really read into yeah. like their personality and like get them fun things. But like, I also try to get them books Yeah, because I don't want bookstores to go away. I want, yeah. I want physical copies of books to stay around forever. So I'm like, I need to support bookstores and um, I don't want you to get stupid over winter break. So like, <laughs> we need you to read, but we can't ever agree on a subject matter or an age range of books, like with the parent. And it's real. And like, what if we like a story, but they have like some violent themes or they have like some adult themes that we know that the parents wouldn't like. So I think that's really this is a really good book because like everything Darcy said, it's, 
it just it it checks off so many boxes about it being like considered appropriate but also very educational and just like beautiful and very relatable that I think it would make a really good gift for a lot of like younger kids you know like again like like 11 12 and up no definitely and I'll say now we're about halfway through the year and this is the, currently the front runner of my top book of 2021 so mm. what whatever comes in the next six months has to beat this book so yeah I don't know much. that's gonna I don't know if that's gonna happen my top 2021 is still uh the magic fish Oh, yeah, that... Magic Fish was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah last but year. it's still going to be Before, You read it this year, so, <laughs> so it works. Well, well then would, would Little Women be your favorite book every year? Right? <laughs> it is my favorite book every year. <laughs> the top book of 2020. It's the top book of forever. Yes. I always read it. I know. Which, uh, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Never mind. Well, um, when we do uh, Little Women Deserve Better uh, podcast, we'll as well. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> you guys have any final thoughts or? Nope. I'm good. Okay. So you guys ready to move on to sure. our last part here, our round table. Um, so Darcy, I know we kind of have something in that's related to, to this as well, right? It's very related. Yeah. It's actually, we could have just kept going on what we were talking about right yeah. there. It's kind of a nuance. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, I was going through my local comic book store the other day and um, I've noticed that most local comic book stores, as in the two that I have near me, uh, they're kids comics, um, not just young adults, but young adult and kids comics are only big two, except for like some Regina books like Sisters, uh, Smile, uh, and the Dogman books. And that's it. Like that's the only independent kids comics that exist um if you go to a barnes and noble for example you'll have a wide range of graphic novels for middle grade and children uh, that are available just tons of them and i'm going to start looking into them and we're going to do a couple of them on the show because i think that they need to be promoted like we've just said a few minutes ago they're important um people uh, don't maybe know what they are. People don't have experience of them. I just mentioned The Way of the Hive, a honeybee story by Jay Hosler. Um, they don't get the respect that they deserve. Um, I personally feel that this behavior that a lot of adult comic book readers have had the last couple of years with this comics are for adults comics are for adults comic books for adults mm -hmm. um has had almost a negative effect on the industry uh it should be like comics are for adults too not just comics are for adults period mm -hmm. um to the point where I go into a comic book shop and all I see are products for adults and I do not see hardly any uh, products for um, children. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we want to continue uh, to have a fan base, uh, you know, there's Spider-Man cartoons for children. Uh, there's DC cartoons for children. And there are a couple of those books out there. Uh, for kids I saw like four uh, DC kids comics I saw like four or uh, three I think DC or Marvel kids comics and those are great um, but you know like Regina three four comic books awesome mm -hmm. um, 
I think they had four of the five trillion dog man books. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. But there are tons, you know, and kids don't have money themselves, but kids' parents have money. And I, I it just baffles, it blows my mind. You know, parents bring their kids in, kids spend money, the parents spend money, everybody can spend money at the comic book shop. Mm-hmm. I realize it takes up space. Mm-hmm. I realize that, but my goodness. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed because um, I mean, there's no, there, this, this, this uh, hobby, this niche fad, <laughs> this thing that we do is not going to survive if there's not new generations coming in and you can't exclude gener- the generations. And I do applaud DC and Marvel. They've done uh, have made a bigger effort to put out YA books um, and some really good mm. quality YA books. They've been getting YA authors of book books, book books, <laughs> yes, and and having them write, having them do comics. Mm-hmm. So so, but um, but at the same time, there's a lot of stories, a lot of of things that are, need to be told and need to be people need to read that are are omitted because there isn't enough advertising there isn't enough um you know like shelf space you know in 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 shops for for these books these comics and also regulating them to the kids section like in barnes and noble or something like that also kind of um denotes how good they are and because like we just read an all ages book right now the legend of auntie phil and a middle grade book and we all enjoyed it we're not we're not teenagers we're not 12 13 years old these books are for everybody and they're books that you can share as an adult now i'm you, you can read it yourself enjoy it and then share it with the, with the kid and and if these these books are in like the kids section only then they're not going to be probably read by adults because they, they won't think of them as legitimate books even if they were into and comics they did not have this book at my local comic book shop yeah oh. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to, I had to actually get it off. And not even by Barnes and Noble had had this book. I had to get it on on their their website, their mm. online, and so, get it delivered to our house here. You know, so, so whenever we go to a new comic book shop or a comic book shop or whatever, the first section I personally hit up is the kids and all ages, because mm-hmm. I get very intimidated going like I'm gonna go look at the image books or I'm gonna look at the DC books or whatever because there's usually some stupid asshole who's there like hogging up space and I don't want to be around them so I'm like I'm gonna go to the kids section where there's no one and I'm gonna try to go find a cool book and like the book store the bookstore the comic book store that we went to most recently which is a great store it's in San Diego we love it like we always go whenever we're down there and Brian buys a shit ton of comics but like their comic book section was there for children was teeny tiny and it was in a stuffy ass corner of the sh- like totally yeah. like not accessible not well ventilated not like, comfortable not comfortable at all and so like if I were as an adult I was like this is shit mm-hmm. if I were a parent or if I had like we did have our niece with us yeah and like Claire and I were there and we're just like, this is bogus. We're going to go walk around and follow Brian because we don't feel comfortable being in this spot together, like even together, It's, it's you know, and it's just like, and I understand, like, 
if any for anybody that reads YA, the majority of the biggest purchasing power of YA are adults. Yes. So I'm and and believe me, there is a horrific toxic online fan base of adults yes. for YA authors. Yes. And it's awful. And I yes. it's why I don't interact with a lot of shit online because I'm like everyone is batshit psychopathic and they have nothing else better to do but Mm. like I'm I don't to me even though again it's a toxic fan base it translates to money so if people are concerned about like oh if we create all ages books or YA books or children's books there's not going to be any purchasing power when you have DC doing the Catwoman like YA book and they get fucking Lee Bardugo Mm -hmm. to do that book you get a big name you you do the crossover you get like you get money you get people who buy it so I'm not entirely sure why there's not that idea of like and I'm gonna I'm not even saying like getting a big name I'm just saying like I don't like there's obviously money to be spent I don't understand why there's not more books being made that have that kind of YA appeal or all ages appeal because adults for sure like my goddaughter she gets her YA collection from me she's like what what new books do you have I'm like here borrow them or like I'll give them to you because these are the books that I've been reading and they're really good Mm -hmm. so like I I mean I don't know. I'm not, I'm not explaining it well, but I think that there's a lot of um, financial gain for people if they wanted to do that. No, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. The the money's definitely there. There's this weird cultural break that's existing between people who read everything, just people who read books and people who read comics and the industry Mm -hmm. that makes absolutely no sense the ya industry is huge manga is gigantic Mm -hmm. you've got assholes on twitter who will straight up tell you oh this is why manga does great numbers and they're assholes and i don't agree with them but they'll (laughs) tell you oh this is why manga does great numbers and comics don't um and they're wrong about a lot of things but on this they're not necessarily wrong because you'll go into a comic book store and you'll find this very narrow section a lot of times of manga that is the exact same type of manga that you see with superhero stories Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's dudes that are it's it's this very narrow type of shonen manga and that's it like the reason manga does so well is it's varied Mm -hmm. it's an incredibly broad range of comics there's lots of them there's lots of different kinds of them they're like books there's lots of different kinds of books that's the exact same thing manga is it's just in graphic format comics aren't that western comics just aren't that they're such a narrow style that people are publishing right now except Mm -hmm. for in the indie fan base indie comics are a broad form but they're not marketed properly and it gets even worse when you go to ya and when you go to kids comics Mm -hmm. 
but that's like local comic books it, like if they would promote themselves if they would do everything to like push that up there but the problem is the culture this culture of this idea that the only people who read comics are like adult white men who need their little man cave and it's just not accurate yeah. it's just not accurate to who reads books it's not accurate to who reads comics it's not accurate to who buys things mm -hmm. it's ridiculous like it's... the most popular graphic format of of anything of any fiction is pretty much i think right now either regina's stuff or dog man and those are children's comics yeah mm -hmm. exactly and there needs to be more call for a little bit older comics as well you know but yeah. not but i think comics definitely suffers from gatekeeping oh, and, so it's, and and it's a, that vocal minority of readers that that only like what think and think that only what they like is important and should come out and mm -hmm. that unfortunately kind of drives the comic book industry and mm -hmm. that's the problem too because um oh um so this comic book shop that Carrie was mentioning earlier, this is not, this is very much unlike other comic book shops. This thing is literally an industrial warehouse full of comics. Oh, they fun. order everything in the, in the catalog, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's not like they're want for space. And, and I was mentioning this earlier, like on our group chat, the zines have a larger section than the kids the ya books and so it's like you know and like i and I, and and the thing is is that it's as simple as as a comic book shop obviously they need the foot traffic they need the people to come in and they need to buy the books and that's what makes the the shelf space larger why not have a ya day or a y or once a month or like once every two weeks where it's like you have either a guest reader or someone come in and read a, a, a YA book and get that demographic into the store. Absolutely. And, you know, and or have like 25% off YA books on sat or second Saturday of every month, you know, something like that, you know, like just to, to get foot traffic, you know. You have that, a little kids play area. Exactly. You know, I mean. What do you need? You know, parents need something to bring in. Parents need something for their kids to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I and don't know if it's because like people in our age group are maybe now like a lot of us are like childless by choice mm. and so and a lot of our money goes to just us or our pets um I'm wondering if there's something to that like we have a lot of spending power as an as like an age demographic and so maybe that's part of it I mean I'm just talking out of my asshole at this point because I'm not entirely sure I think you're not wrong I think if more of us had children I think we would be advocating for our children a little bit mm -hmm. harder yeah. I think the fact that so many of some of us so many of us don't have children and we're assholes on Twitter <laughs> I, I, I think that has a, I think it does have an impact that there are so many childish, child, childish and childless yes. <laughs> people on Twitter that are assholes um, and that are like 
out loud being complete jackasses, Mm -hmm. I I think it does have an impact. But I I think there needs to be more of a realization that the people who are being complete assholes are like a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of readers. And yet they're having way too much of an impact. Yeah. Um, Because I think what's important, like, you know, people talk about YA books. One thing I, I totally agree, adult buyers have a lot of pull on YA and YA has become a little bit too adult, honestly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the importance in comics, I think, of YA books, I last time I went, I, I bought the Swamp Thing YA book by mm-hmm. uh, Maggie uh, Stiffenvader, I think mm-hmm. is how you say her last name. Um, and the thing I like about these YA books is you read month to month comics one thing swamp thing does not get enough respect (laughs) Uh, but also you read month to month comics um it's it's hard to grab a place to jump into Mm -hmm. and these little ya books that uh dc has been putting out uh is a good like let's just read a single story about you know like poison ivy or let's just read a single story about dick grayson or let's just read a single story about whoever because they put out several of these like individual graphic novels about their characters they're pretty good with good writers and great art Mm -hmm. like that raven book they did was great yes Um, oh definitely so they've got a lot of these and you don't have to commit to like a monthly book or weekly book or whatever they're doing right now bi-weekly book they were doing for a while uh, every other week not bi-weekly um and like you don't have to put all of this money into it you can just buy one and try it out Mm -hmm. um and you know you're getting sometimes you may even know the author you're getting like you said because they're pulling in uh, like established YA authors Mm -hmm. and they get good artists and so that's kind of excellent Uh, and you get kind of an established section on a character that uh, or around a story that may not be like a super unique story for YA because they're kind of, you know, like YA stories. Uh, but for these comic book characters, sometimes they are fairly unique because you don't have a lot of these comic book characters in YA stories in their usual month to month things where they're just doing the sort of superhero stories that they always do that honestly mm-hmm. get kind of old to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same vain as that the children's comics i also picked up metropolis grove by drew brockton which is the bizarro story um which i haven't read yet but it's super freaking cute um you know you kind of got the same thing you don't get many bizarro comics right um you kind of have to pick and choose and read where you're at and do whatever if you want that kind of thing um but it's a cute book to get for a kid it's a really accessible story um and it's these things are out there and they're not really being offered as alternative stories Mm. unless you go to unfortunately like a lot of times Barnes and Noble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, and these are, these are books like, that comic book shops should be making money off of. 
they they really are mm-hmm. yeah and and like there are so even even like really typical graphic novels like who uh the um oh what was it the the animorphs books recently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like put out uh, and i know those are book books that have been made in but like the graphic novel of the animorphs like that's a big book that's like people know that book uh-huh mm-hmm. that's popular book that a lot of people really liked like that's something that will sell to someone just looking at it um i i have never seen it in my local comic book shop no exactly or like when they make goosebumps into comics it was really rare to find those in comic book shops or the babysitter's club has been made into a comic yep my niece is really into it she they just left not too long ago and she's six and a half Mm -hmm. she's and i specifically took her to barnes and noble after our auntie niece pottery day and i bought her the next two uh babysitters club graphic novels because she wanted it her mom my sister-in-law is like really into comics and um it's funny because my brother married brian's female counterpart and it's just like it's like the same person yeah it's funny how that works out and so um it's just really bizarre so um like sometimes I think my sister-in-law and Brian are related like their brother sister because of how similar they are but like because my sister-in-law's into comic uh, into comics our niece has really gotten into them so she was stoked and Barnes and Noble I love being one of the few adults in the kids section because I'm like hell yeah I'm gonna go look for warrior cat books (laughs) and all that shit because it's fun to read and they're eight bucks and I'm like I can breeze through these because I study about autism and it's fucking sad most of the time so these are great palate cleansers and they're made for children let me tell you I read all the Percy Jackson books when I was in my oh yeah you know like it's just you know it's just just fun put fun books for children in comic book stores Mm -hmm. I would gladly go into comic book stores more and buy shit Mm -hmm. totally if 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 it seemed like they they were welcoming that that demographic i mean um as you were saying oh oh. it's not like you have to take out adult stuff altogether but it's like it's 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 at these i know my place has this huge 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 back issue section it's like okay i get it huge back issue section but it's like two sections deep it's like bump that up one make it three you know, I never see anybody in that section except for me when I'm there. I'm sure there's other people, but it's like, you know, bump it up to three. I can stretch, you know, what the fuck ever. Exactly. Um, or, you know, bump it back one deep. You've got space for that. Put put like two Romina Yi books or put like the Tea Dragon Society or put, you know, like half of the shit I talk about. Mm-hmm. There are fucking like these studio ghibli movies are gigantic mm-hmm. people there are so many comics that have like studio ghibli ish feeling to them yes mm-hmm. they'd sell they'd yeah, sell and kids would like them and then you would have eventually these kids become comic book readers because oh mm-hmm. my god fucking comics are awesome and we wouldn't be losing people in this friggin um medium yeah because we because we do we do get 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 rid of (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's not dissimilar. Yeah. Fucking all these goddamn abusive assholes. And we do worship our superhero gods. <laughs> worship our superhero gods. We've got all these abusive assholes. Yeah. Well, what about the um? It's the DC. Uh, sorry for an independent podcast. We're talking about DC so much. It's okay, but, I started um, it. It's the golden, the little golden books. Yeah. DC made their own version, and so did Disney. Mm-hmm. And it's I know. But like, even carrying that in a comic book shop, yeah, just showing that it's a picture book of your like your comic book heroes type of thing, mm-hmm. I think would be really good for kids to see again because they're they're early readers. Uh, it they're fun, and it's it would it would start them on that path of like oh this is like my beginning book and then oh now i can read bigger kid comics and now it's more pictures less words and stuff like that so i don't know i think those books are really good too as like an introductory yeah, i've literally never seen those in my comic book shop oh, and you are you yeah. are exactly right those would be perfect huge because the thing is too is that adults will have a nostalgic look oh my god it's a little golden book and yeah. it has batman on it like oh my god like, like so let's give that to my yeah. kid yeah, yeah Jesus exactly christ that's such yeah. a good idea um, our, when, um when our family visited uh they had this star wars yeah. little golden books which was like the, i mean it was had to be about an inch and a half thick and it was like all nine, nine movies <laughs> but like super kid form early readers my like our nephew he is three three. he's actually i hate to say it and put it into the ether but he's actually really smart and so like he's a little too smart for his own good at three but like i mean he was gotta hate that yeah actually (laughs) but he was like super he's like yeah star wars he's naming all these characters and like it goes deep into the lore I'm like, you are a fucking nerd and I love you it. You got to get them into it early. <laughs> yeah, you do. Exactly. And the um, thing is, though, is that like now, if you want to look at it from a, a financial perspective, those kids are now you primed for like Disney yes. shit. Uh, yeah. All, yep. all the stuff. They're going to go to Disneyland and make a lightsaber for yeah, like, $100. Yeah, you like know? my, my yep. like our niece was like, okay, Indoctrinate I want those kids. Yeah. I want the Kylo exactly. Ren double red because she loves like all the dark side Darth Vadery shit. She's like, yeah, I just want like crazy. Just like Uncle Brian. I, I want I like, like stuff better. I want the double red. I'm gonna fight you, mom. I'm gonna kill you. Oh, and I was like, this is perfect. I, that, right? <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to spend money on this. Yeah. It's like, wow. Um, and, and the thing is, is that like, yeah, character recognition. Like, you know, I'll add a little bit to the DC uh, talk as well. Um, DC Talk, is that a Christian band from like the 90s? But anyways. Yes, um, <laughs> the, it is. Yeah, so, no, um, but um, the, what's great is, is the character recognition. I mean, um, especially like with Swamp Thing and with like, there's a John Constantine book that's written by the Squirrel Girl creator, like Ryan North. Ryan North. Form, one of the former artists of Squirrel Girl, Derek Charm. And these are characters that kids shouldn't be reading as as you know the 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 adult stuff that's coming out for adults to read those are not made for kids and it's great that they're able to adapt them into kids stories because that once again like 
they're going to grow up with knowing who John Constantine is, who Zatanna is, who Dead Man is, and stuff like that. And it's like, and when they get older, when they are older for those books, they're going to want to read those, the old, the other comics, you know? So that, that's great. Also, another thing that DC's doing is that I think is wonderful is that they're really paying attention to demographics. They're paying attention to voices because like they have the shadow of the Batgirl book for one, and it's not Barbara, it's Cassandra Kane. And, and, and then like they have an Oracle code book with Barbara in it, but it's her as Oracle in the wheelchair, a disabled person, you know, like, like, which is, which you don't get a lot of, you don't, you don't get really a lot of people talking about, you know disability and being a superhero so it's it's great that that that's a middle grade book you know like you know so that's great that it's out there you know and yeah they probably shouldn't be reading no man's land where oracle kicks some series but but it's good that they're reading they can read a book that's made for them about oracle and isn't yeah. this disability awareness month i think it might be yes cool definitely um and but so um I have a question for for uh, for you both. Maybe Carrie, you might not be able to to answer some of it. I'll I'll change the question a little bit for you. But um, the what would you recommend non DC or Marvel when it comes you know like for people to pick up that are like white that are like kind of middle grade YA or or kid books that that you don't see. In comic book shops, what would you recommend that people would go tell their comic book store that you should be carrying these so I can buy them? Uh, any of the Ramina Re books? I said Ramina Re. I did that wrong. Ramina Yi books. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, uh, oh my gosh, I almost called uh, the. Oh. My gosh, why can't I remember the name of any of her books now that I just said it? Uh, she just came out with a new one, which was uh, the Alexander, uh, Alexander and the uh, Alexander and the Servant of Life or Light, I think. Um, but the she had a previous one that I mentioned here on the um, on the podcast, which was one of my recommended books and this one is Mm -hmm. uh, the actual like middle grade books which was seance tea party which is the girl with the um ghost friend that she has like um that she has uh like tea parties with her ghost friend Mm -hmm. Uh, super super cute it's kind of like a coming of age story i think it's through penguin you i've never seen it at a comic book shop but you can definitely get it i've seen it at books a million i've seen it at barnes and noble it's pretty much available whatever uh, Romina u books uh also uh, pretty much i i've also seen like the carpet merchant uh, which is another Romina u book also generally available at um books a million barnes and noble places like that uh which is uh super super good Romina u books are great i totally recommend them for middle age uh, not middle-aged people but middle grade yeah. readers and middle-aged people at the order. and middle-aged people yeah. as a middle-aged person or so, getting up on to middle age <laughs> so so my question uh, i was gonna if you want to answer that question oh question no modify too. it for me please um, i was gonna say what so you're you're really into reading YA book books yes are there certain authors or even certain themes that you would want to see um, more of in comics So I follow a ton of YA authors like on Instagram and just lovingly 
watch them from afar because I feel weird about interacting with people. Um, I think if you want inclusivity and good representation, uh, Lee Bardugo, Sabah Tahir, Adam Silvera, uh, Marie Lou, those are all really good. Uh, they're all really excellent YA authors. Um, they all bring a different perspective um, into into the into the voices of YA. Um, I tend to like their books because they're they're still they're still teen like, but they're not like super young so I feel like it's a good mix of young adult I guess is the world that's why it's called that but um I and Lee Bardugo ha and Marie Lou have crossed over into the whole DC uh, uh YA uh, novels I think Marie Lou did a uh, fat woman mm -hmm. and Lee Bardugo or Lee Bardugo did fat woman I don't know somebody just like they did they've they've already done two books. Uh, Sarah J. Moss, she's also done um, a, a crossover with DC. But I think just making it more accessible, again, as somebody who's a, a fan of book books first, and, um, and especially of YA, making it so that way the transition's easier, I think. That way it's super... It's hard going from one toxic fan base to another one without a transition. So I think you have to ease people into liking comics and into being comfortable around comics, especially because gatekeeping is so prevalent, um, especially because it's super fucking prevalent inside um, your local comic book store, most of them. So, um, and especially as a woman or, you know, whatever, um, so it's the transition would be nice. I think just making it more of like a inviting, warm, welcoming environment as far as like what's available to read. So that way, when I do take my teen niece in there, I don't feel like a fucking weirdo. She's not uncomfortable either. You know what I mean? Like it needs to be, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be family friendly per se, but it just needs to be like where I don't feel like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb because I'm not looking up like some in like some image book or some Marvel book that I have no idea what it's about. You know, like sometimes like going into the store that we like, I do feel intimidated into picking up a book. Like I feel weird not picking something out because I'm like, I shouldn't be in here if I'm not going to purchase something even though you're spending a lot of money there like I shouldn't be wasting like the vibe I get is like I should not be wasting valuable space and time if I'm just there to not know anything that is the exact feeling I get in every comic book store I go into which is why a lot of the times I will bow out and be like I'll wait for you outside like, I don't want to be in there because I get such a weird feeling from so many people. I'm like, this is so not fun for me, which is why I'd rather go into a Barnes and Noble or why I'd rather like go read it on Comixology. Cause I'm like, at least I don't have to have this weird interaction with people. Like the weird interactions I have with people inside of a bookstore are much more like, <laughs> like innocent than the ones I have inside of a comic book store. 
which I don't know at, at this yeah. point if it's me or if it's the person behind the counter or if it's both of us. Mm, I think it's probably it's it's the it's shop, comic book shops. There people at comic book shops are really pushy and they want to. I I completely understand what you're talking about because when you talk to people inside a bookstore bookstore, it feels like just a conversation with a stranger, which can be awkward. Yes. And and uncomfortable, and you don't necessarily want to talk with that person at that time, but it feels just like a conversation with a stranger. Mm -hmm. But when you talk with people in a comic book shop, it always feels confrontational, mm -hmm. and it feels uncomfortable. Yes, and it it's a completely different environment. And I one hundred percent know what you're talking about. I have very rarely had a comfortable conversation in a comic book shop that wasn't with somebody I went in with. Yeah. yeah. And even then it's like, I always feel like I'm being watched. It's yeah. like big brother feeling times a thousand and it's, and it's just a shop, yeah. but you feel like you're being judged. The second you walk in it a hundred percent feels confrontational and it, I very rarely went in a welcoming, even my local comic book shop now is 100 times more welcoming than it used to be mm -hmm. because the space is more open. You know, I've talked about it a couple of times on here, but there's still this, that, that kind of feeling towards it. And like you said before, like the kids section definitely is not, it doesn't feel kid friendly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they're afterthoughts. You know, yeah. like it's just like whatever we need to put this yeah, here. Yeah, and all the books are dusty and like, yeah, like yeah. like no one cares about them. Exactly. Um, I have always thought it's very interesting about like comic book shops, where if you and I will always bring this up when we talk about local comic book shops, where you go in, and if it's not necessarily the person behind the counter, it's another patron who's like well, what's your favorite? You Tell me the five different Batmans that you yeah. like and the five well, greatest art artists of Batman or oh, whatever. Like Robin? And it's just like, like sure Robin? yeah, but, I mean, yeah. like that, I mean, we have literally stood in line for free comic book day where a cute girl, like late teens, early twenties will go cosplaying as something fun by herself, totally owning it. No one's bothering her. And some douchebag will be like, um, are you, which, which cat woman are you or whatever? I don't know. But like, it's yeah. just, or can you tell me the art the, or the writer of this series or whatever? And it's just, or like, you can't be a real fan of so-and-so if you can't name this, this and that. And it's just like, you want to mm -hmm. punch someone in the face. If I could get away with assault and battery and not get picked up by the cops, I'd be punching a lot more people for being <laughs> assholes because it bothers me so much when men go up to women or non-binary people or female presenting, whatever it is. And like, they're there. And because you are not a cis white hetero dude who mm -hmm. smells like mayo and their mom's guest bedroom, <laughs> if you're there and you're just trying to enjoy your day and they're like, fuck you, you need to like give me these five answers to get into the comic book shop. I don't understand why people are like, why you try to bring down someone's joy and someone's fun 
by giving them a fucking quiz. Yeah. Like who can like who are you? That, you you don't get to do that to somebody. And it's just like I it's those memories and it's these experiences where I'm like, fuck, I hate comic books. Like I hate comic book stores. Like it's really hard for me to go into one. When uh Brian was living in Houston, there was one by where he was staying, and we went into it yeah. a couple of times, and it was like okay it was walking distance and i would actually drive like five miles to a different store because that other store yeah has like we went vibe. a couple of times and it's like the minute we actually try to buy something it was like the quiz it was like yeah. you need to tell us like these answers well, before we'll let you buy it i'm like fuck you i'm not buying shit here so i mean me you know and i look more like the demographic that they want in their shop and i'm being frank when i say that um even when I went in there the first time, I got the stare down mm-hmm. by the guy behind the counter, like, what are you doing in my store? And it's like, seriously, dude? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, just to circle back, because yeah. I'll always talk about it, um, just make the YA and kids section nicer. So that way people feel welcomed and comfortable. And I can buy books for my nieces and not feel weird. Yeah. And give you money. Too. Yeah. You want money? I like spending. Yeah. I like shopping. Yeah. Shopping yeah. Um, kids kids command a lot of money mm-hmm. from their parents mm-hmm. yeah so make it what? where there there's literally no drawback except maybe it will take up more space but then it's just like um people bitch about how certain comics aren't selling anyway so just like fuck it i don't know maybe stop making 500 batman comics <laughs> You know, you know those those dusty settlers of Catan variants that no one's buying. Yeah, you know, exactly. why don't you get rid of those and like, stack, stack those on top of each other. I don't exactly. know. Yeah, and just make an extra little section there. Make um, an extra little section. Yeah. So, uh, really quick, um, millennials. So anybody millennials. in their mid-teens to mid-thirties are what? estimated to have more spending power than any other age group mid-teens aren't millennials that's zoomers yeah i know but uh this is what it says on um uh blog spot uh that i just looked up yes. on google oh, that's wrong is it from 20 years ago because <laughs> it's 82 we're, we're 40 years old now yeah it's oh 81 to what is millennials 81 to 95 i think i don't know but we're 40 to like yeah yeah like millennials 25 so now let's take away the mid-teens thing millennials yeah. have the most spending power mm-hmm. and will continue to do so up past 2030 and we're the most affected by nostalgia too yeah we, are. we, we see old he-man toys and we want to buy them and stuff you know like yeah yeah can't afford houses so might as well buy toys exactly so oh. so yeah it, it's a prime it's a prime uh, demographic to to cater to and the thing is too is that kids these days kids these days <laughs> they know Ooh, that was bad my, my 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 our six six and a half year old niece knows who jessica cruz is and knows who Good for her because of DC's, superhero girls yeah superhero girls and superhero so, girls so like, yes so, so those are people they'll go into a comic book shop with their mom and dad and be like, I want to read more Green Lantern books, you know, like, you know, and like, is there any someone should? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, like, like the the DC and Marvel are doing a good job to make their characters more 
you know, like for younger for younger people, then complex shops should just follow suit and make sure that there's a section and a place and it's welcoming. Also, shout out to first second books. I think that's that was my that'd be my answer to what needs to be checked out and read and and mm. carried more in, in comic book shops. Um, that whole publisher, there they have so many demographics, so many different voices, and, and so many good books. I mean, um, the uh, Dragon Hoops um, was, is the first second book um, that we that we read, and then also Magic Fish is first second, yeah. and um, so is um, uh, what's her face Tilly Walden. All all all, all her books are first second. I mean, like. These yeah, are- the fact that there were no Tilly Walden books and yeah. good lord, there's like 500 million of them. <laughs> They're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've been looking and I and I try, I, I only buy graphic novels at Barnes and Noble if I can't, if I know I can't find them in a comic book shop, which is sad that I have to think that way yeah. um, in the first place. And I've been looking for a copy of Spinning for so long and that's such a popular book i'm surprised i have not been able to find it you know like in person so yeah it's not like the the sad thing is it's not like we don't want to support your friggin bookstore yeah you're just not giving us a chance to we mm-hmm. all don't want assholes <laughs> we don't want to read all the xenoscope and and all the all the uh, top cow books we, we want to read other books you know yeah like, let us please mm-hmm. you know we, we we want artists that can draw feet you know we, yeah, we want, oh. yeah. I'm wow so, i'm sorry that was, that was a low blow so low I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. less couches more demographics yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay sorry well this I, was a heck of a first episode yeah, of that yeah it was yeah thank you. yeah it was definitely went a little bit longer than expected but that's well, i hope it you know it was definitely fun to talk about we had three weeks off so yeah yeah about, definitely so um oh just really quick darcy mm. i know you, I, I and i just thought of it right now and i know you're a fan of, do- of documentaries and i know this is really doesn't have much to do with the show but <laughs> recently watched summer of soul which was a documentary done by Questlove, the drummer from the roots um they found footage um video footage that had been in the basement for 50 years of the harlem cultural festival in 1969 really and, and it's just, it's a really it's really well done there's a lot of great music in it i mean cb wonder gladys night in the pips i mean it's 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 on hulu i definitely recommend it awesome i recommend it okay all, that everybody. sounds great yeah so it's definitely a cool thing to check out well do you guys have any final thoughts about Anything else or no? No, I don't. This is good. <laughs> okay. All right, Darcy. Nope, I'm good. We'll okay. let Carrie get to vomiting. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's close again. Our hopefully our com- our uh, podcast doesn't induce vomiting too much. Um, <laughs> 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 if it does, please see a doctor. And also, let us know. <laughs> um, Hashtag no, just, no, no, no hashtag. No, no. Okay. All right. Well, everyone. So we reached the end of the show. And I once again, as always, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, email us any questions, comments at comics are better at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram, Twitter is CDB pod. 
comicsisterbetter.wordpress.com is our website where you can request subjects for future shows. Um, please follow, rate, tell a friend, let us let let messages get out to everyone so that uh, you know everyone can read good comics essentially <laughs> or hear about good comics. And uh, Darcy, where can we find you? I am at books underscore serial on Twitter. I have a website, booksandserial.wordpress.com, though I haven't written anything on there for a while because I am waiting for uh, Wastelanders Old Man Star-Lord mm -hmm. to wrap up, which should uh -huh. be happening in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's excellent. You should be listening to it. Um, we should be having a good week coming up next week. I'm super excited. Uh, but we've got, oh, oh gosh, we've gone through Emma. We've had Craven. Uh, we've got some exciting stuff happening on that show. So listen I'm a week up. Behind, so. You're a week behind? Well, I I'm won't week, say anything. No, oh yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm just, I can't wait till, till Doom makes a full appearance. And if he oh, gosh. He's, he's got to, right? He's yeah. got to. There's no Definitely. way he can't make an appearance. Yeah. So it's Doom. So, um, but yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I, I actually should mention too when I, I talked about our Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, um, I posted um, over the weekend a, a quick post about uh, if you, so you just watched Black Widow, you know, what kind of indie books would be, you know, kind of good to check out. Um, so I put about eight books there. Um, definitely recommend checking out that post and checking out the. Uh, um, the books on there because uh, if you're a fan of uh, you know Askic and female protagonists, then there's some good books on there to check out. There are indeed. Definitely. And okay. Um, well, I'm at Brygen2814 on Twitter, Brygen underscore CB on Instagram. And Carrie, are you still clandestino? You know, um, I gave you people my Instagram handle and I got no friend requests. So <laughs> I don't think you deserve it. I actually took away my friend, my friend request. Uh, I'm just joking. Oh, fuck I you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Every day I logged in, I'm like, no friend requests. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Refresh it's pictures of my seconds. dog. You guys, it's not that important. I just wanted to be cool like everyone else. Okay. Well, <laughs> for you are cool, I think. But oh, uh, for for Darcy and Carrie, I am Brian, and this has been the Comics Is Are Better podcast. And remember, comics is are better, and everyone deserves comics. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.